Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. We had big plans for yesterday, um, lots of things on the agenda, but your entire day was spent nursing a woodpecker back to health. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. He flew into our window. It was terrible. It was terrible. And as soon, like, that sound is sickening. And as soon as you hear it, you know exactly what that sound is. Yeah. You know what the thunk of a bird hitting a window is. We have these big windows in the front of our house. And this has happened a couple of different times, um, all of them ending tragically. But in this case, and I think it was because it was a woodpecker and they have stronger heads, <laughs> you put him in a shoebox and nursed him back to health. Yeah, he did really well. And... Then he, um, you know, he scooted out of the box and you can actually follow the journey of the woodpecker on our, our Twitter page. I did document mm-hmm. it. Um, but uh, eventually he made his way to a tree and all was well. And then you had quite the experience uh, later in the day. I did. I was sitting out on the deck and this woodpecker, now granted they all look very similar, but a woodpecker that looked just like the one that you nursed back to health flew up, landed on the railing of the uh, of the balcony and just sat there three feet away from me, looking me right in the eye and tweeting, just ruffling his feathers. This went on for, I would say, 10 seconds, and then he flew off. It was almost like he was saying, hey, thanks, ape-like creatures who live in a big green box. Now, you said a couple times I nursed him back to health. I did no such thing. I just made sure he didn't get eaten by something while he recovered. Someone tweeted at me, uh, there's some sort of thing that happens when a bird gets stunned and it takes a couple hours for them to kind of recover their equilibrium. Mm -hmm. So in that meantime, you just have to make sure that something doesn't eat them. I That's see. all I did. Right. So you... And then this morning, there's a friggin' baby crow out there trying to get grackles to feed him. <laughs> You're turning into that crazy bird lady of the neighborhood. I know. And I've got so many things on my list already to do as we went over this morning. Uh, pick up vitamins, mm-hmm. give the dogs their flea meds, watch Sister Act. Yeah. There's already so much on the <laughs> so, list. So many things. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll see how this crow thing goes. Anyway, I love you, crazy bird lady. 
So I got a story for you. Oh, good. Come on, kids. Pull your chair up round the radio. Uncle Jethro's going to weave a tale. It's fireside chats. Yeah, but with lots of death. Um, when the number four reactor exploded at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant on April 26th, 1986, a colossal meltdown began. When it occurred, the first responders, as well as people living near Chernobyl, in, in what's now uh, Ukraine, had no idea what was happening. They didn't know that they were experiencing an event that would uh, ultimately change their lives and the lives of their children. The effects of the Chernobyl disaster echoed around the world, of course, with long-term repercussions for wildlife, for environment, and for humans. Quick question. Now, we just started watching Dark on Netflix. Is that where the inspiration for this came from? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know me so well. Well, according to Wikipedia, here's what happened. The accident started during a safety test on a particular reactor. It was commonly used throughout the Soviet Union uh, during the planned decrease of reactor power in preparation for an electrical test. The power unexpectedly dropped to a near zero level. A combination of unstable conditions and the reactor design flaws caused an uncontrollable nuclear chain reaction. A large amount of energy was suddenly released, vaporizing superheated cooling water and erupting the reactor core in a highly destructive steam explosion. Oh, I did, see, I didn't know it was a steam explosion. It was radioactive steam. That sounds terrible. This was immediately followed by an open-air reactor core fire that released considerable airborne radioactive contamination for about nine days. I didn't realize that, that it had gone on for that long. Ugh. It infected uh, parts of the USSR, uh, Western Europe, before finally being contained on May 4th in uh, 1986, the fire gradually released about the same amount of contamination as the initial explosion. Wow. As now, quick question. I'm sorry. You said it was contained. Are we going to get into that mm -hmm. more? A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Because in my mind, I picture duct tape. <laughs> yeah. Well. Because that's they, in Maine and in space. That's how you fix things. That's true. I don't think anybody would argue that point. <laughs> All you have to do is watch The Martian. As a result of the rising ambient radiation levels off-site, a 10-kilometer radius exclusion zone was created 36 hours after the accident. About 49,000 people were evacuated from the area. Shortly after that, the exclusion zone increased to 30 kilometers, and a further 68,000 people were evacuated from the wider area. Wow. Ranker says those who worked at the nuclear plant or lived in the surrounding areas, they tell haunting tales about what happened in the immediate aftermath of uh, the Chernobyl disaster. There's a book out. It's called Voices from Chernobyl, The Oral History of a Nuclear Disaster. It's by Nobel Prize winning author Svetlana Alexevich. So even though the initial explosion was obviously devastating, the chief engineer on duty believed the reactor's core had not been damaged. So employees were just told to keep working. No. When firefighters and first responders got there to contain the fire, they showed up without radiation protection gear because no one thought that the uh, reactor had melted down. I feel like better safe than sorry yeah. in situations involving 
radioactivity? As this was happening in real time, massive amounts of radiation was pouring out of the exploded reactor. More than 100 people suffered uh, from acute radiation poisoning. Dozens were dead within months. Oh my gosh. Radiation continued to leak and the wind spread it to the surrounding areas and ultimately around the world. Ludmia Ignatenko, the wife of one of the firemen, uh, said in, in, in that book, quote, at 10 in the morning, a cameraman died. He was the first. On the first day, we learned that another one was left under the debris. They never did reach him. They buried him under the concrete. And we didn't know then that they were just the first ones. Wow. That's interesting how that misunderstanding of what really had gone on changes your whole perspective on it. Like, oh, look, there was an accident. We're going to fix it. The end. Right. But instead it was, oh, look, there's an accident. This is going to affect everyone and everything for some time. That's exactly right. So this is unfolding. What would be the best way for a government to deal with a major potential public health disaster? Pretend that it isn't happening. Ignore it. That's right. <laughs> Tell the citizens that there's nothing to worry about uh, while you're covering it up. Uh, the Soviet government refused to tell Pripyat citizens, that's the town right next to where Chernobyl was, they refused to tell them about the danger that they were, were in. Even after several additional explosions in the damaged reactor that uh, same night, police officers just started showing up wearing gas masks in the streets. Citizens started to report symptoms, and understandably, this caused anxiety and confusion. Yeah. The evacuation didn't even begin until the middle of the next day, more than 24 hours after the incident. And that's precious time that they could have used yes. to tamp down the effects on the, the population. Ludmia Ignatenko goes on to say, quote, It's night. On one side of the street, there are buses, hundreds of buses. They're already preparing the town for evacuation. And on the other side, hundreds of fire trucks. They came from all over and the whole street covered in white foam. We're walking on it, just cursing and crying. Over the radio, they tell us they might evacuate the city for three, or three to five days. So take warm clothes because you'll be living in the forest. What? Intense, yeah. People were even glad. They were saying, oh, a camping trip because they were not told how serious this right. is. We'll celebrate May Day like that. A break from the routine. People got barbecues ready. They took their guitars with them, their radios. Only the women whose husbands had been in the reactor were crying. Oh. So the government rushed to cover up the seriousness of what occurred at Chernobyl. And uh, the order came from the very top, Mikhail Gorbachev. Gorbachev created a commission to investigate the explosion, but he did not tell the international community about the massive radiation leak. It was only after they measured radioactivity in Sweden on the 28th of April and they were able to trace it back to Chernobyl that the Soviets even acknowledged that there was an incident. And even then, they did not acknowledge its severity. Uh, by attempting to cover up the radioactive emissions still being released from the plant, they prevented their own citizens and, in fact, the entire world from dealing with the literal fallout. One citizen recalled, we sat in front of the television for days waiting for Gorbachev to speak. The authorities didn't say anything. Only after the big holiday did Gorbachev come on and say, don't worry, comrades, the situation is under control. It's nothing bad. 
People are still there, living, working, everything is fine. But even so, other countries began to suspect a nuclear disaster had occurred at Chernobyl. Soviet officials, even when they were confronted by international officials, stuck to the party line, claiming the incident was entirely under control. With reports circulating that a radioactive cloud was descending upon Europe and a core meltdown likely had occurred, the Soviet government said these were just examples of Western propaganda and fake news. Whoa. Soviet officials pointed to the 1979 uh, incident at Three Mile Island in the U.S., Mm and uh, claimed that the West was attempting to politicize the situation to make the Soviet Union look bad. But over time, uh, the depths of Mikhail Gorbachev's deception became clear. The Soviets lied to their own citizens, too. According to a politician, Vladimir Mitvievich Ivanov, we got telegrams from the Central Committee, from the Regional Committee. They told us, quote, you must prevent panic. And it's true, a panic is a frightening thing. Only during the war did they pay so much attention to news from the front as they did to the news from Chernobyl. There was a belief that people weren't killed by the radiation, but by the events. We had to prevent a panic. So after keeping the citizens in the dark about the explosion for more than a day, authorities gave the people of uh, Pripyat about an hour to prepare for the evacuation. Uh, They told them to pack for a three-day trip, Most had no idea, though, that they would never, ever return to their home again. Oh, my gosh. Some even thought it was a vacation, like I was saying before. One citizen recalled all day on the radio they were telling people to prepare for an evacuation. They'd take us away for three days. They would wash everything, check it over. The kids were told to take their school books. Still, my husband put our documents and our wedding photos into a briefcase. The only thing I took was a gauze kerchief in case the weather turned bad. I can't even imagine how the realization that what we were told wasn't what was happening and you may not be able to go home again Mm. and how slow and terrifying that must have been. It must have been just uh, day after day getting worse and worse and worse to the point where you go, yeah, we're never going back. Yeah. The Soviet government finally sent in what they called liquidators. It's basically a cleanup crew. Ranker goes on to say liquidators were, in fact, soldiers, firefighters, miners, even custodians. They were the ones responsible for uh, covering up the core in concrete, Mm -hmm. creating the sarcophagus, or they call it the elephant's foot, because that's what it looks like, just a big pile of, of, of radioactive concrete. They were sending in professors who had degrees. They said the slogan was fight the atom with a shovel. You had everybody. It didn't matter who. They would just indiscriminately choose people from the forest to come in and and clean this mess up. Wow. One citizen said they didn't need to send all those people there to get radiation. What for? They needed specialists, not a lot of human material. I don't think that any of us doubted, though, that they'd put us in jail for insubordination if we did not go. Mm. The weird thing is, you know, when you think of Chernobyl, at least in my mind, you think of this mass evacuation, and you've seen pictures of, of what's left of the nearby towns mm. and in, in the city, just totally abandoned amusement parks overgrown with trees and weeds. But the fact is, a lot of people never left. They stayed. Oh. One resident, Nadasha Burakova, explained why she decided to stay. We could have left, but my husband and I thought about it and decided not to. We were afraid to. Here, we're all Chernobylites. We share the same memories. We have the same fate. Anywhere else, we're foreign. We're lepers. 
Everyone is used to the words Chernobylites, Chernobyl children, or Chernobyl refugees, but you don't know anything about it. You're afraid of us. You probably wouldn't let us out of here if you had your way. You'd put up a police cordon. Estimates of the deaths attributed to the uh, disaster vary. The International Atomic Energy Agency, uh, the United Nations, and the World Health Organization estimate about 9,000 deaths linked to radiation exposure. Other groups estimate the number significantly higher, perhaps up to 1 million, although well, that, that statistic is uh, widely disputed. I imagine it's impossible to track that. How can you even measure that? I don't think that there's any way that we'll ever no. definitively no. The term Chernobylites is a derogatory term. Oh. These people who were exposed to radiation met with all sorts of um, social prejudice and um, pretty much like they, they were considered like lepers from days of old. We don't want you in our cities and towns. Now, the press got in on the whole fear-mongering thing. A journalist Anatoly Shermansky shared some of these rumors that were going around. Quote, the Chernobylites are giving birth to children who have an unknown yellow fluid instead of blood. Oh, jeez. There are scientists who insist that monkeys became intelligent because they lived near radiation. Children born in, in these three or four generations will be Einsteins. It's a cosmic experiment being carried out on us. Now, that must have been reassuring. Sure. The most dramatic result of the explosions at Chernobyl is, as I mentioned before, the elephant's foot. Mm. It's where the first blast formed like an enormous mass of nuclear fuel and melted concrete. Um, and then they came in and they poured more concrete on top of reactor number four. So not duct tape, got it. Yeah, not duct tape. And it is still so radio radioactive that if you stood next to it for five minutes, you'd drop dead. Wow. Still to this day. The elephant's foot has burned. The current state of the elephant's foot, it has burned through the basement of the plant into the ground where it continues to burn deeper and deeper into the earth. Do you think that eventually will mess with our, like, axis? We're in, a, we're in an uncharted area here. <laughs> That's, you remember the movie uh, China Syndrome? No. That's what that was about, was that it would melt right through the earth to China. Oh. That was, you know... Oh, well, that would make some travel easier. <laughs> yeah. Shoop. Of course, the main concerns right now are the um, contamination of groundwater, and it could spark a brand new Chernobyl-related health crisis. Well, it's possible that it's happening right now, and we just don't know it. Yeah, we I don't. mean, maybe the severe influx of Karens is due <laughs> to radiation. We don't know. We don't know. We should check and see if they have yellow blood. Anyway, that's kind of what it was like to be in Chernobyl or near Chernobyl when all that shit went down 34 years ago. Well, that's terrible. I don't remember that happening at all. Um, and so to me, it's like ancient history. Mm -hmm. And when someone says 34 years ago, I go, oh, yeah, that's right. It wasn't that, that was not that yeah, long ago. Right. Huh. And now, that thing in the middle. Today's thing in the middle, once again, from our Freaks group on Facebook, Kimberly posted, tell a lie your ex said. Oof, this could get rough. Number five. Tia wrote, my ex once told me he was the stand-in drummer for Slipknot. <laughs> I laughed hysterically. <laughs> Number four, Linda writes, he said, that's not Viagra, it's a leave. Kate writes, my therapist said it was your fault I cheated. Oh. Oh. My. Wow. 
Wow. Number two, Andrea says, my dick works all the time. And number one, Karen writes, he said I would never make it without him. I would be homeless and eating out of the trash. Oh, I have a great career. I raised a great kid alone. And I just bought my forever home. Boom, my drum. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura Frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura Frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer hey there i'm dylan lewis one of the hosts of motley fool money each weekday on motley fool money we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on wall street on weekends we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts authors and executives that understand them 
Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas. Plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The podcast now in a convenient travel size that fits in your pocket or purse. And in three new scents, freshly cut coconut, summer breeze, and something died in the attic. This is The Box of Oddities. Zach sent us an email at curator at theboxofoddities.com. Kat and JG, I was listening to the latest episode, Box 241, on my way home from work. I pulled into a Chick-fil-A to get my meal dropped off curbside when this elderly lady handed me the wonderful bag of chicken that had been anointed by God. At that exact same moment, all you hear is Kat yell, We demand a leader with a solid butthole! The look in that sweet grandma's eyes was one of confusion and disgust. Today I learned that y'all should stay in my earbuds and not be blasted through my truck stereo. Love y'all. Keep flying that freak flag. I've got mine flying proudly down here in Orlando. (laughs) Sorry about that. So once again, I reach over with my award-winning finger and press this button. What you got for me? What? What you what what you what you got for me? What 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 what, what you got for me? It's so long. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get an abridged version of sure, that? Like this? What you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Alrighty. So my friend Sarah shared a story on FB that gave me the full body shivers. He bees all over the place. Like, laying in bed and going, (laughs) I like where this is going. So it was a post about the Guilford Fire Department in Connecticut, congratulating them on their amazing rescue of a Guilford resident who fell down a 20 to 30 foot well inside a house. Oh, my God. I think I saw a headline on this. A new tenant was moving into this home that was built in 1843. And their friend, who was helping them very generously, fell through the floor (sighs) into the abyss of a 20 to 30 foot well, splashing into extremely cold water that was well over the victim's head. Now, in one way, that's good because it broke his fall. On the other hand, on the other hand, I would immediately imagine that it was full of eels. Oh, eels. Yep. Wow. Okay. Yep. Um, All I need is eels in my anus. <laughs> eels in your eyes, eels in your anus. Eels. Eels. A few years ago, I had uh, friends at my old workplace, and we were kind of just tootling about the building, and she had her dog with us, and the dog ran over into a kind of boggy area behind the building. Now, it was winter, so the bog was frozen, but not enough, and the dog fell through. Ooh. Of course, I didn't know what was going on in that bog or how deep it was or you know any of that, so I was very concerned about the dog, so I ran over and jumped in. And when I jumped in... I hit some sort of piece of metal, like uh, I'm guessing it was rebar oh my God. that was just oh. sticking up out in a, and it scraped all the way up my leg and it was gross. But anyway, we got the dog. It was fine. So in my head, I don't think eels, I think stuff. 
Like, like, like sharpened steaks. Yes, I, it's exactly. <laughs> I think I've seen Indiana Jones maybe too many times. Mm. But um, Which, by so, the way, is impossible, but, <laughs> but go ahead. So the house was built in 1843, and there was a renovation and an addition added onto the house in 81. At some point, this well was covered with simple wood flooring. There was no subfloor. There was no well cap. It was just a well hole covered with what I can only imagine was like 1970s style floral laminate. (laughs) Which is like three millimeters thick. Now they said it was wood flooring, but still. Yeah. This is how it works on my brain. What kind of an idiot does that? I don't know. know? How does that happen? That's fine. We'll just put some, some flooring over it. Yeah. Anyway, initially, the fire department received a 911 call for a fall victim. They were thinking like, oh, someone tripped and fell down the stairs. You know, someone uh, took a digger in the bathroom or whatever. Uh, No, it was a bit more uh, serious. 20 to 30 feet into the abyss. (laughs) So they sent Guilford firefighters uh, in to retrieve the well. They were treading water for only about 25 minutes. The fire... People got there super fast and got them out really quickly. But that must have been an incredibly long 25 minutes. Yep. yep. Every time something brushed against my leg, I'd be expecting an eel attack. <sighs> you don't know how much further down it goes. You don't know no. what was dumped in there before Dum Dum just put some wood flooring over there. You don't know what's going on. No. You don't know what's going on. So my whole my whole body reacted to that. Um, the victim suffered only minor injuries and was transferred to the hospital to be checked out. But it was like scrapes and bumps and, you know, the kind of thing that will happen when you fall down a well. But... No big deal. Guilford Fire Department did make note that uh, some old homes do have hazards that are not upgraded to current code. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So mm, for sure. Yeah. So that got me thinking, hey, wasn't there some kid that fell into a well once? I remember on The Simpsons, they were sending their love down the well. You don't don't want, you've never. No, I've never seen The Simpsons. Oh my God. How did we end up together? (laughs) I think Bart threw his walkie-talkie down the well and was pretending there was a kid down the well named Timmy. And uh, Sting showed up and wrote a song, We're Sending Our Love Down the Well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because it became this big uh, media event. Sure. Mm. Uh, Well, very similar to what went on here, except... Not cartoons. Yep. Okay. And not a (laughs) walkie-talkie. Baby Jessica. So it's 1987 in Midland, Texas. Baby Jessica was at her aunt's house with her family. Her aunt Jamie ran a daycare center out of her home. I remember this so well. Do you? Because I don't at all. Well, I can tell you what month it was. It was October. Wow. That's really well. What year was Chernobyl? 86. Oh, wow. Look at us. Once again. Mm -hmm. Ran in the same. Same time frame. Anyway, I only remember that because I had just started a new job and it was all over the news. It was. It was October 14th. Well done. (laughs) So anyway, uh, Jessica's aunt, Jamie Moore, ran a daycare center out of her home. And that morning, there were five kids there. Jessica was playing with the other four children in the backyard under the supervision of her mother, Sissy. The phone rang. Sissy briefly went inside to go answer the phone. And when she came back out, the kids were screaming and Jessica was nowhere to be found. She soon discovered that baby Jessica had fallen into a eight inch diameter well 
and had become trapped deep down in its shaft. The family says they have no idea how this happened because the well hole had been covered by a large rock so that this kind of thing wouldn't happen. It's not the kind of rock that they said these kids could have moved. They don't know what happened or Hmm. how. But either way, eight inches, Mm -hmm. baby Jessica's all up in there. So rescue workers came and assessed that she was about 22 feet below the ground. I didn't remember it was that far down. (laughs) And the entire ordeal is immediately being covered live on CNN. Uh, This is the nation's first and at that time the only 24-hour news network. Jessica was quickly dubbed everybody's baby. Midland Fire and police departments came to the scene and enlisted the help of a variety of local, often out-of-work, oil drillers. So obviously, they can't just shimmy down this shaft and go and get her. It's a very unique situation. It's not like, you know, when you fall down a well uh, inside your house covered by plywood. It's, uh, you're not getting down there, basically. Eight inches. Eight inches. Just the thought of not being able to move my arms. Oh, you just wait. The plan was to dig a parallel shaft alongside this well hole and then drill a second shaft that would connect the two. All right, fine. No big deal. So uh, all they got to do is drill down big enough for a, a person to get shimmy down and then drill across. Okay, fine. Uh, Except what they thought was going to be a quick process was not. None of the tools that they had were sufficient for this project. And they discovered that the tools that they did have that would work, like a jackhammer, they couldn't use to do the drilling horizontally. That's not how that works. They were in kind of a bind. Rescue workers were pumping oxygen into the well to make sure that baby Jessica had uh, the air that she needed to breathe. And they were in constant communication with her. Now, of course, she's a baby, so she's not able to fully like describe what's happened. Mm. Um, she's just able to cry and uh, mumble a little bit. She's, you know, she's trying to communicate. They're trying to communicate. But it's not going great. So a day went by. A whole day of these parents standing nearby this well hole, just hearing people saying, this isn't working. Wow. I I got frustrated when the cable guy said that, when he was installing our cable. That's right. Like I said, a lot of out-of-work oil drillers were coming to help, and a roofing contractor named Ron Short came to help. He was born without a collarbone because of uh, a genetic disorder, and so he could collapse his shoulders to work in cramped corners. He can actually, like, touch his shoulders. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he was like, I can can make my way down the shaft, I betcha. And they were like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Mm, Um, Yeah. Because then if you're stuck, then we have two people that we have to, you know, no. Not happening. Um, But even though they did consider it, especially after some time had passed and they were starting to, you know, get a little freaked out, uh, but they did not use that. Though one report did say that he helped to clear tunneling during the the process. So he was able to put his skill to use. He was able to help, just not in the way that he initially offered to. He was just going to, like, dive down in there, which, nah, no. And then I think about, like, these hips – 
(laughs) (laughs) Nope. (laughs) That's one thing. Like, I maybe I should consume less food uh, because what if someone falls down a well and they need my help? Instead, I'm just going to be like, no, sorry, I'm only good for twerking. (laughs) No. Uh, so anyway, we, we all have our own unique skill set, sweetie. <laughs> so rescue workers were reassured when they heard baby Jessica singing the theme song from Winnie the Pooh. Oh, as long as she was still singing, they knew that she was still breathing. Um, obviously, like I said, she couldn't communicate and say, yeah, I'm still fine. But when they heard her humming. Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh. They knew that she was, okay. See, now I immediately go to the mind of a parent. Yeah. Jessica's parent standing there. And everybody's telling us for hours now, uh, we can't get your kid out. Mm -hmm. We're having, nothing's working. And then you hear her humming Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. So 45 hours later. 45 hours. The shaft that they were tunneling was completed. Midland Fire Department paramedic Robert O'Donnell was ultimately able to inch his way into the tunnel and make that connecting cut where he was through a very small hole able to use a mirror to see her leg. So he increased the size of the hole, kept digging out debris, kept digging out debris, and they inflated two industrial-type balloons underneath her so that she couldn't fall any further Uh, because there was more to fall. Oh, my God. Oh, man. She wasn't at the bottom of the well. She was kind of encased in this weird pile of debris that had stashed in the well. So they got that support underneath so that they knew that she was at least secure in that right, Um, increased the size of the hole to snag her, and then realized that the leg that they saw was actually just her her one leg. She was trapped on either side of this debris. So they couldn't get her because she was actually on the other side of the debris. Just because the way that her leg had been jammed in here, they thought, oh, here she is. But she wasn't right there. She was stuck in this debris. Mm. So they thought, like, this is it. We've got her. And no, it wasn't for another 10 hours that they were able to use a water jet cutter, uh, which was new technology at the time, and forceps and lubricating gel and And they were able to jimmy her out of there. At 5.30 p.m., they used a paramedic board to strap her on and used ropes and cables to wrestle her free from the confines of the well. And this this had been how many? 56 hours. 56 hours. That poor little girl. Robert O'Donnell handed her to fellow paramedic Steve Forbes, who carried her up to safety before passing her to paramedic Bill Queen, who carried her to a waiting ambulance. There was a photograph of McClure being rescued and carried by one of those paramedics that actually won the Pulitzer Prize for spot news photography. The child, who had weighed 21 pounds, now weighed 17 pounds. She had a pretty significant wound on her forehead where she had been in such a position that her forehead was rubbing up against the side of the well. She wasn't moving around. She wasn't like she had room to like fix her position. She was jammed up against the side of this well, her head rubbing up against it the whole time. And one of her legs had hit the wall and been jerked upward. So one of her feet was 
up by her head. I can't even. Dr. Carolyn Rode, who was actually the doctor who delivered Jessica, said that the baby was in critical condition at that time, but she had not suffered any broken bones, which is nuts. She was very concerned about the child's leg due to lack of circulation. Yeah. Obviously, your leg's all yeah. jammed up. and ugh. She was also very concerned about the child's long-lasting emotional trauma. Surgeons did have to amputate a toe due to gangrene, which had set in due to loss of circulation while baby Jessica was in the well. She had 15 surgeries, but has no firsthand memory of this event. Like we've said so many times. The brain's amazing. The brain is amazing. As baby Jessica grew older... She didn't remember anything about those three days trapped in a well. She didn't even learn about the story until she was five, and she saw an episode of Rescue 911 <laughs> about her. Oh, my God. She saw this reenactment, and she started to cry, and she said that it must have been so scary for that little girl. And her parents were like, yeah, it was scary for that little girl. It was you. I just got serious goosebumps when you, when you said that. Holy crap. So these days, Jessica has a family. Um, she is married to a dude named Danny. They've got kids. And uh, I'm sure they're not allowed around any wells. <laughs> Jessica works as a special education teacher's aide at a local elementary school. Danny is a foreman at a pipe supply company. When she turned 25 in 2011, she got a trust fund. Because during this three-day media circus surrounding her being trapped in this well, people were reaching out wanting to do anything that they could. Right. And they were accepting donations. And a huge amount of money was collected for this baby. It got up to like $1.2 million Holy crap. at one point. Now, unfortunately, a lot of that was lost in the 2008 financial crisis mm. because she hadn't, she wasn't able to have taken it out at that point. But what was left after that helped in the purchase of Jessica's home, uh, which is less than two miles from the site of the well. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Finally, a story that ends happily. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's not entirely happily. I mean, there there are some some long-lasting effects uh, for some people. I'm sure her oh, parents yeah, yeah. and a rescue worker, Robert O'Donnell, suffered severe post-traumatic stress from the incident and ended oh. up taking his own life oh, in the 90s. No. Oh, no. Uh, because three days mm. of it being your job right. to save a baby. While the entire world is watching. Exactly. And and you're right. CNN was it yeah. at that time. It was the only 24-hour news source. And it was an ongoing, it was a running dialogue. That's why I remember it. I was in the process of starting a new job, and it was just on the, in the background everywhere all the time. Yeah. It's crazy. It actually reminded me a lot of when the uh, space shuttle exploded. It was on TVs and stores and people talked about it all the time. It was it was the big global event. Yeah. One of the articles that I read mentioned that between the Challenger and baby Jessica is what led to news 24 mm seven, -hmm. like us demanding it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't surprise me. Now I wish they'd make it go away, please. <laughs> so anyway, that is uh, two creepy well stories. Well, well. You're welcome. <laughs>
We want to welcome all of the new subscribers to the Box of Oddities premium channel. We appreciate you supporting the Box of Oddities. Uh, you can do so by going to our website, theboxofoddities.com. By supporting us, you get a bunch of cool stuff. You get the episodes a day early. You get them um, without any ads. You get access to the back channel, which is uh, if you want to, you know, ask us a question directly, we will respond to it. We try to respond to everything on the back channel. And a bonus episode once a month, which reminds me we have to do one um, quick. We're coming up on bonus episode time. Yay! So now's a good time to uh, to jump in on the premium channel and become a member of the Order of Freaks. Go to theboxofoddities.com. So many details about so many things, including the Order of Freaks right there. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Is that your belly again? Yes. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed.